Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and it is Tuesday, March 16th, 2010. We're sure glad to have you here today. Today we're talking about open source, a guide for the school district technology team with Gene Broderson from the Technology Leadership Network at the National School Board Association and Benoit Saint-André from Revolution Linux. Welcome Benoit and welcome Gene. Hello everyone. Gene, so I've turned your mic off so you'll have to turn it back on and then off again to speak. So the few, okay, go thank ahead. you. There you go. So you want to say hi? Hi, everybody. And apologies for my lateness. So Future of Education is sponsored by Illuminate, my Coming up on conversations.net and futureofeducation.com, of course, today talk. Uh, the PBS Women of Science uh, session tonight was just canceled. Tomorrow, uh, education. Also, lots of good recorded sessions. Topics. Uh, if this is your first time in Illuminate. It is. Is my audio breaking up? It sounds like. Yes, it is. I've turned my mic up. Let's see how that does. Any better? Okay. Seems to be cutting in and out a little bit. Okay, so Benoit and Jean, if you wouldn't mind turning your mics off, there may be a little bit of a mic conflict. If this is your first time in Illuminate, it is a participative environment, and we hope that you have, um, oh, Linda, the PBS session for tonight was canceled. PBS had to cancel that tonight. Uh, this is a participative environment, and we hope that you will participate. You can use the emoticons at the bottom of the participant window, smiley face, clapping hand, confused look, or thumbs down. If you have a question for Benoit uh, at an appropriate point or during the Q&A, there's a larger button with a hand and a green up arrow. You can click on that to raise your hand, and we'll give you the microphone. If you think you'd like to take the microphone, then be sure to go up to Tools, Audio, and run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your mic is working at the time. Um, you'll see you can send messages back and forth. You, you'll probably also have noticed that you can send a message to another individual in the room, uh, but do be aware that those private messages are seen by the moderator, so there's nothing uh, entirely private. The, the presentation's on the whiteboard, and I'm going to give you permission right now to actually participate by modifying the whiteboard. Look for the wand with the red star at the end, click on that, and then click on the map and let us know where you are. I know some of you shouted out your location in the weather in the chat. You're welcome to do that again if you'd like. Well, wherever you're listening from, or if you're listening on the recording, we're sure glad to have you here. I'm going to turn the time over to Gene now, who will get us started. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. I hope everybody can hear me okay. Um, I'd like to welcome you. This is our first uh, entree into working with Illuminate and with Steve and Benoit. So this is kind of uh, a very exciting opportunity for me to learn from a master. Um, and I want to thank Steve once again for uh, uh, helping me with this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go to my slides here. Um, once again, this is uh, uh, the Technology Leadership Network, which is part of the National School Boards Association. And we're here to learn about, oops, I see I have a problem with my slides. The wrong slides loaded up. So, are you still on Rome? Oh, I'm sorry. There we go. It turns out that the wrong slides loaded up, Steve, in this uh, last minute. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> <laughs> so, let me do this. Uh, once again, uh, uh, the Technology Leadership Network is part of the National School Boards Association. And rather than delaying anymore, um, trying to do other things, let me introduce Benoit, uh, and we can get started with this webinar. 
Uh, Benoit started his career as a high school science teacher and did planning for technology in those schools. Afterwards, he was appointed educational consultant on technology for the school district and was responsible for technology integration through the district. Then he became curriculum specialist for science and technology and was in charge of professional development for curriculum reform at that time. Uh, he was then one of the authors of a science and technology textbook series for secondary curriculum during that time just before working at Revolution Linux. He also did some consulting, professional development, and conferences about free and open source, open source software and open content. Um, and uh, at Revolution Linux, he is uh, the Educational Resources Director. He bridges the gap between IT and educational needs. And with that, I turn this over to you, Benoit. Thank you, Gene. Uh, thanks, uh, Steve, also, for uh, giving me this opportunity. I'll, uh, I'll try to start up my video. So uh, it feels like I'm actually uh, talking to some people, although I see that uh, 78 people is pretty good. So um, I'll be starting a piece on, um, on uh, open source, a guide for school districts, technology leadership team. So I might. Hey Benoit, you're really stuttering for me. Off. So poor sound. Okay. Not yet. Is it better? Yeah. I'll try to bring this back. So. Not yet, so I turned the um, video Seems down. Like it might be getting Is it a little better, bit better now? Hey, would you Is go it better up? Now for everyone? I'm sorry, everybody, to do a little behind the scenes work here, but Benoit, would you go up to Tools, Preferences, and um, change your audio, your um, connection rate? Yes. Maybe lower it down to wireless. Yeah. Yeah. Is it better? Sounds better so far. Okay. Keep talking. Good. So I'll try to start. And if it stutters again, oh, yes, 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 yes. So everybody says yes. So it might be better. And I'm speaking fast. So with, uh, with uh, a large um, French Canadian accent, you might have noticed. So. Um, uh, I'll maybe slow the uh, the speed down a little again, and let's say it's just better now. Cutting and what, do you have still. the ability to call a telephone line? Ah, uh, no. <laughs> okay, so I might try to join in. I'm going to set up the telephone bridge and have you come in by Maybe telephone. By there must be some problem with your connection. So I'm going to yep. don't don't uh, cancel yep. this window. So Gene okay, and Benoit, I'll don't hit cancel on this telephone uh, connection. And we'll I'm do this over the phone. And Benoit, uh, turn your microphone off. And then go down to the audio area and click on the handset button. See the opportunity to call in by the telephone line. So Ben, while you're looking for a small icon in the audio box, it says teleconference available. There are the two sliders. And uh, there's a little handset icon you click on to get your telephone number to call.
while we're waiting for Benoit, I can do a commercial. Uh, for those of you uh, who are familiar with the technology leadership um, program, we also have something called the technology site visits. Uh, we currently have one underway right now um, that's, called, uh, that's in Fayetteville, uh, Arkansas. And we have another one coming up in um, the Eastern Township in Canada, uh, which really should be a, a very interesting one. There's a lot of one-to-one -one, uh, opportunities there. And then we also have site visits taking place in, in Illinois. Um, and that session was, is going to be in the Avoca School District. And why are you back? Yes, I am. Are you here? Okay, good. So then, while you're going to need to speak up, and I'm going to try and turn the audio up from my yep. side so we can hear you better. Uh, at the same time, also you do okay, still need to you, you still need to click on the small handset button in the audio area below the sliders. There's just a little handset icon. It will make sure that the sound doesn't try and buffer onto your machine. Okay. Okay, so I'd say give it a go again. Go. So it's working now? Everybody is hearing fine? Yep. No, maybe. Yes? Okay, good. Sorry about that. Okay, so back to the session. So open source I guide for school districts technology leadership team. So we yes good. So I'm uh, Benoit Saint Andre. Uh, over the phone now. So uh, I'm from um, from Canada, as you guessed by the accent. Uh, I'm Educational Services Director at uh, Revolution Linux. So uh, we're going to talk today about how do you get to implement open source in a school district. Uh, not talking about only the technology part, but how do you make all of this work? So, um, so this is going to be the main topic of, of the, the session today. Now, Gina uh, uh, already presented myself um, uh, just explaining who I was. So I'm just going to go really fast on who am I and what's Revolution Linux, and just going to drop a word on open source, which uh, most of people uh, might know, but I'm still going to just say a word about that so that we're sure that everybody's on the same page. And then uh, I'll go through the, the guide for, uh, for the school district. So, uh, just uh, Jean said it. I'm. Uh, I was a science. I was science teacher. I, I was. Uh, I taught science in high school, but I did all sorts of um, of things like uh, I, I taught chemistry, biology, uh, geography. Because when you're starting teaching, uh, you know, uh, and they give you almost anything. So. It was just part of my task too. And uh, from the beginning of my, my career, almost uh, 10 years ago, uh, I started helping people integrating technology in the classroom uh, as a teacher first and then as an ed consultant. So that's, that's why that's how it started. And uh, I started using open source in my classroom in, in uh, year 2000. So that's um, uh, I mean, quite a long time ago for, for most open source people. So uh, at the time, there wasn't a ton of uh, open source software, and uh, it, it, it was pretty different. Uh, so all I'm going to talk uh, to you today uh, is around all those experiences I had with open source and that organizations I've worked with had with open source, uh, either because I was in those projects myself or uh, I worked for a, uh, for a consultant at the time uh, to help those school district uh, uh, try not to do uh, the things that uh, that we shouldn't for that. So, uh, just a word on Revolution Linux, uh, the company I work with. So we're uh, open source uh, specialists for uh, mainly K-12, but also for uh, government and uh, public sector and corporations. So we do mainly, you can see on the little uh, little uh, slide, uh, netbooks, infrastructure, web services, compliance, one-to-one. Uh, so everything for uh, integrating open source in a scalable and sustainable way. So that's it. So a word on open source, just so that we're all on the same page. So open source is all about openness, but also freedom. So uh, there's a, a way that we define open source in um, in uh, in English, which is free software, which is a bit confusing because it's it's mixing the value of the software. Uh, the fact that it's free and the fact that it's 
uh, freely available. So uh, in French uh, uh, and in Spanish, we use the word libre or libre, which is for the freedom to use the software. And that's mainly what open source is about. It's not really about the cost, although we're going to talk about that um, uh, uh, a little later on. So uh, for open source, uh, yes, libre in español, <laughs> technology has to be open when you use open source uh, for any use, and that's mainly one of the criterias to have something open source. And also you have to be able to see, modify, and redistribute the code for the software. Now, uh, if you're uh, in a school district and you're part of the leadership team, you may not want to modify the code and you may not want to redistribute the code, but we're going to see later on those kind of things matter if you want to have the opportunity of, 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 uh, of repeating um, uh, your open source initiative later. So let's jump to the guide itself. So like I already said, uh, I've built this guide from experience, and it's going to be a guide in 10 points, uh, uh, mainly uh, oriented in a way uh, to show some of pitfalls or roadblocks that you should avoid when uh, you try to expand open source or do an open source initiative in, the, in your school district. Now, um, I want you maybe to click on the, on the check marks uh, just to say who is now having an open source uh, experience in the school or school district. So just check the, the, the little green arrow. Okay. So who would be thinking um, about um, yeah, just uh, about going with that kind of experience for uh, for either the school or the whole school district uh, this year? Just check your green arrow. Okay. So great. And uh, maybe you don't want to say it, but who had a hard time trying to get open source in your school district and maybe had some problems? Yeah, a couple of people. Okay, so uh, we're going to go around um, on each pitfalls. Uh, you may want to share your part of your story uh, either on the chat or uh, or maybe uh, tell uh, a couple of seconds in a couple of seconds uh, what you've experienced. So we're going to start uh, with number 10 uh, being um, probably the less important point. And uh, as, uh, as, as we're going on, we're going to slowly go to more and more important points up to number, uh, number uh, one. So number 10 uh, point on, on my list of uh, pitfalls on the road to open source would be technical interest superseding user interest. Uh, now maybe um, uh, I just want to know, maybe raise your hand, uh, your, your check mark. Who is a tech guy in the school district or tech uh, tech woman? Okay, who is part of the leadership team? Superintendent? Oh, sorry, I said raise your hand, but <laughs> I, I meant check uh, checkbox. So, superintendent, leadership team. Uh, who would be on the, the instructional technology side? or EdTech consultant, and teacher side. Good. Okay, so I got, uh, we have a really a mixed crowd, so that's, and, and we have Andrew that is all three, so that's great. So we're going to, uh, we're going to put a little emphasis on each point so that uh, everybody is, uh, is happy with what I say, but um, Often open source come by uh, people that are very tech aware because it's so open and so uh, so compelling for people to use uh, people that have technical background that uh, it's easy for them to try to bring in an open source project in a school district. Now the problem with that is that if you look at the picture, uh, in the, if you're a tech guy, you probably find that picture beautiful. You see all those network wires, all the colors, uh, uh, they're, they're all uh, for um, each network separated by color, uh, all, all the wires tied together, very clean, nice cable management, very, very, uh, that's really interesting for uh, most of, of tech people. Problem is that uh, if you're a teacher in your classroom or even if you're um, uh, uh, a superintendent, you just look at that and you don't really care about that <laughs> because, I mean, 
that those wires be be well tied together or not, it doesn't affect anything in your classroom, or so you think. So uh, most of the people will say, well, I mean, they, they don't they don't care, they don't mind about all those things being done nicely and really tied together. But if you're a tech guy, you understand that this is really important because if all those things are not done properly, well, maybe you're gonna find a you're gonna have a hard time repairing your network if there's a problem. And if you're in the classroom, well, those kind of things will affect you because maybe the internet will just go down. You won't have any access to the network, and then you're gonna be mad, and you wouldn't want to use technology after that. So that's that's part of, of the things that um, that that is important in technology. Like uh, somebody commented in the chat, technology is supposed to be invisible for people. Uh, the problem is that when it doesn't work, well, it starts to be quite visible that it's not working. So when you're doing an open source project, since uh, normally you have to involve technical people, uh, most of tech people will jump in and put technical interests on the table. Things have to be secure. They have to be reliable. We have to be able to put this on a large server, uh, those kind of things. And often users don't care. But of course, if you're running this technology on a poor server that will break, then users will care. Thing is, uh, just not to put technical interests on top of users' interests. So those kind of things have to be on the same page at the same table. Even though you get the fastest server on earth, if the software and the way that it's, uh, it's implemented is useless, well, your project is not going to be successful. So all of the pitfalls I'm going to talk about are about uh, are around what happened in some cases when things went wrong uh, implementing open source. So uh, I'm going to talk more about that, and we're going to mix the pitfalls as, as we go on. So that was number 10. Number 9, lack of user input. Now look carefully for a user on your, on your slide, and you might find it. Now if somebody finds it, I can maybe send a candy by Internet. I don't know if I can. Um, so you might find the user in the upper right corner, very, very carefully hidden. He tries to say something, but nobody hears uh, from him. So uh, that pitfall, uh, the lack of user input in lots of open source projects is, is often a problem. And uh, I mean, the users uh, usually want to, to say something, but nobody listens uh, to them. Not not mainly because uh, nobody cared. It's just that there wasn't any uh, anything planned or or thought in advance so that users could express themselves. We're not talking about doing a survey or something very very large, but um, when you're doing an open source implementation, you have to find a way to uh, bring the most people you can on the bandwagon so that they they feel listened to but also that you have an idea of their real needs. Uh, and not just like, okay, I want an icon that is uh, an icon that will be on my desktop that will be yeah, blue or gray or, or pink, uh, uh, whatever that is. Um, but uh, having the user's feedback before, uh, before you actually implement something is quite important if you want to have a, a successful implementation. Um, uh, successful implementation, sorry. Uh, for example, we could uh, think about most of the places where people will just say, well, I don't want to use Linux, for example, on the desktop. I just want to, uh, to, have, uh, to have Windows. And most of the time when you're going to talk to them, you just realize that it's not that they want Windows that bad. It's just that they, they want to have uh, an environment that they're going to Feel confident using, and that they're gonna um, uh, they're gonna know their way around in that environment. And mostly because they they never touched that touched the the Linux desktop or uh, or open source software. Well, they think they it's gonna be very hard for them to learn. So if you have those kinds of inputs, well, you can think in advance of some um, some workarounds and some uh, mitigation. Um, uh, points so that uh, your things can go forward. So for example, uh, we're going to go to number eight, which are training issues, uh, which is kind of related to, to the other point before. So uh, the training issues are, are very important in any open source project that you will implement, mostly because people think that uh, they, 
they don't they don't know anything about open source software, and so that they're going to have a hard time um, uh, doing those kind of things. Sorry, just got a bit of water. So, um, so uh, an, an important fact about training is the way you you plan your training in an open source project. So let's say that you're uh, trying to implement OpenOffice, for example, as an OpenOffice suite. So uh, you're going to try to to I mean to bring your users in uh, to think about Open uh, OpenOffice as a not as as a super tech tool, but as a way for people to be able to produce text, to do presentations, to use spreadsheets. So uh, you have thought about your things, and you're thinking about training. So. Um, uh, lots of times uh, we saw some open source projects and people doing super large trainings, um, like uh, for example, bringing people in a three-day uh, training on OpenOffice. So way before OpenOffice is, is installed, because mostly people will, will want to have trainings on that, they will just say, okay, we need the, 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 the largest number of, of days of training uh, possible. So, People are going to try to do three-day training in OpenOffice, having uh, everyone in for okay one day on the word processor, and then we're going to uh, look at all the menus and all the things you you need to do in OpenOffice for it to be working. Uh, we uh, we use an expression for that that I actually uh, took from uh, David David Thornburg, sorry, uh, which uh, which does a lot for uh, for open source and. Uh, Instructional technology in general. So, so David Thornburg said once, uh, "This kind of training is just in case training. So we're going to show you all the menus and all all the the technical uh, possibilities of that software just in case you need to use it. So here is the edit menu, and here is the image menu, and here's how you do fusions and all those things that you could possibly do if you have the chance to do it uh, one time." And the problem is those trainings are not really successful uh, in in general, uh, mainly because the people will go out of those three days of training and return to class and then have real work to do in class. And while they were three days in training, nothing got done there. So uh, we prefer doing other types of trainings, which would be just in time training and not just in case. So the idea behind just-in-time training is, uh, and that's uh, exactly what happened in some places in uh, Indiana. So uh, the Indiana Department of Education uh, did uh, in 2005, uh, and maybe earlier than that, uh, a large project called In Access, which was all about uh, doing one-to-one -one projects in high school with technology. And they did use the Linux platform uh, to do that. Now, uh, the way they they introduced uh, they introduced all this was um, to put the technology in the hands of people to be for them to use it first, and then prepare some just-in-time training. So the idea was that the technology was there, it was working, and everybody could use it. Now they didn't publicize the thing, and they didn't uh, make everybody jump into it. So they started. Uh, giving hints and tips of how people could use that, and then they went in the school meeting. For example, uh, it was mainly uh, social studies people and uh, and uh, and uh, lit literature um, teachers. So they met those those guys when they were actually able to use the software and where, when they had real questions about how they were going to be using that in a class in social studies. Actually, not using uh, Open Office. Spreadsheet for the spreadsheet itself, but as, as a tool to learn something and to be able uh, to to learn better and to do um, to do better projects or, or, or better learning in general. So then you can have half a day or two hours with somebody that actually knows something about social studies and about open source, so that you can really have a training that is going to be beneficial for the people. So that they can actually go back to class with something they're going to be able to work on, and not just learn anything about uh, software and then go back to class and have nothing more, uh, nothing that that is able to work. So, uh, so that that is uh, that is important too. So uh, let's 
let's move on a bit on the next slide, which is individual needs versus or versus organizational needs. Uh, so, and this is a, a bit tricky with open source, and uh, you're going to start to notice that all those slides are not always specially about open source, but they're about any implementation of a large change in general in a school district. Uh, that could be curriculum change or, or technology change, not, not only open source. Now, uh, this one is a, a bit more um, oriented towards open source simply because it's so easy for everybody to download an open source software and install it that so many people confuse what they need for themselves and what the organization is able to cope with or needs. Uh, it's it's well, it's not because, for example, you can move yourself to open office that all the school district has to move to open office at once. Uh, this the timing and the way that you would do this is not the same thing as you would if it was your personal computer. Now, the problem is that most of people today are using what what is called a PC, and that's what PC stands for. It stands for personal computer. And if you're in a school district, well, most of the computers are actually used as, as, as resources available for everybody. So there's always that kind of mix between, okay, I really want that software badly on my computer, but it's, it, maybe it's not suitable for, for all the school districts. And since it's so easy to bring in open source uh, because of the cost and because of the way it, uh, I mean, open source uh, programs work very well. So since it's so easy to bring that in, well, people will jump on any software that get out, gets out and say, well, install this uh, the fastest way as possible. The problem is that those kind of things uh, sometimes backfired, uh, backfires on on people that try to 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 do that to do this because if if the organization is not able to cope with that speed, well, it's, it's going to cause a problem uh, later on. So uh, we can, we're going to go to the next slide and you're going to see I'm starting to make links between the, the different slides here. Um, and this is going to be a lot related with the number seven. Uh, number six is really, really uh, specific to open source. It's, uh, it's a pitfall that a lot of people fall in when they go to open source is it is changing software and versions too often. Now you might uh, understand and know those uh, those words. Uh, in open source, there is a model that was actually uh, uh, driven by one of the founders of, of Linux, which is Linus Torvalds. Uh, hence the word Linux. It's a, a play word on uh, a word play on, on his name. And uh, it's also Eric Raymond that stated it in a, in a book that is called The Cathedral and the Bazaar. Uh, and the model is called Release Early, Release Often. Now that's, that's mainly uh, what open source uh, is about. So the idea is when you have something, when you have some code and you program something, the open source way of doing things is just to put it out there even though it doesn't work. So people just say, well, Take that and and use it, even if it's, if it's broken. Now, I'm not telling you to do this in your school district. I'm talking about developers and people that are interested in, in building open source. So the idea when you do open source software is just to put your code out there and say, okay, this is maybe broken, this is unstable, this is in development, but it works. I mean, there's parts of the of, of my code that is is working, so. Well, why don't you take my code and try to make it work? And if you find a bug, or, uh, a bug we're going to fix it. And if you go to any open source software um, uh, site to download some, you're going to have you're going to find that kind of lingo: alpha versions, unstable versions, development versions. Now, often you're going to find you're going to read uh, uh, warnings on those sites, and it's not fine print. It's normally it's usually uh, big enough uh, for people to understand. Uh, those people will write, okay, be careful, don't use this in production. It's, this is there to test. It's there for people to be able to develop. It's not there for production use. And so people might then uh, release the software and say it's beta or it's a release candidate. So it's almost stable. It's coming there. And then they're going to uh, put a stable version on the market and say, well, okay, now you're, if you want to use it in a large environment, you should use that stable version. 
Now the problem is that most of uh, open source enthusiasts want to use the latest software. Now if you just look at the slide after that, this is uh, it may be hard to see, uh, but uh, this is a uh, uh, version uh, software versioning scheme that you can find on, on Wikipedia. Uh, if you look at uh, in software versions, maybe somebody can uh, can dig out the link for me while uh, I talk. Uh, and and I'm going to use that part especially to tell you about an experience of a school district that implemented Open Office uh, a couple of years ago that tried to do so. And uh, this school district actually um, bought 1,500 new computers. And uh, they were uh, looking for software to put on their computers, redoing the image. And uh, the people in the IT department just thought, well, you know, uh, we don't have—I mean, we don't have the money now to buy Microsoft Office licenses. So why don't we put Open Office on all those new computers that we just got before we ship them to to classes? So they thought, well, let's put Open Office on it because it's license-free. It's going to be easy to to install and, and everybody's going to be happy. They're just going to they're going to have a open uh, open um, uh, office suite for for them. So they installed everything on that. And at the time, it was in two. Uh, I said I think 2005, 2004, 2005. And uh, there was uh, the new version of Open Office. It was Open Office one at that time, and Open Office two was about to to be released. Now it was not released yet. If I go back to my other slide. Uh, this was a release candidate, okay? And uh, release candidate is is a term to say, well, it's about to be ready, but we still have something to fix. And it's clearly written, this is not for production. But I mean, they were doing the images and 1,500 computers. You know how long this takes to image, so they just thought, well, okay, the heck with that. We're just gonna install OpenOffice. Release candidate uh, for the version two, and and it's going to be okay. So we're not going to have to to do this again. So they installed the Open Office uh, that was about to come out that was not uh, out yet, and they started installing computer in school. Now September came, and guess what happened? People started using uh, Open Office a lot, and especially Impress, the software for doing presentations. Now the problem is that uh, that release candidate was uh, really uh, had a big bug, which is that you in inserted images into the presentation with students, which uh, students do a lot. And when you inserted those images in the presentation, well, after a, uh, after a couple of minutes, and if you used a lot of images, the, your images would be lost and be replaced with red Xs. Now, if uh, the tech guys went to the uh, bug tracker of OpenOffice, they would have noticed that that was a known bug and that was a critical bug that was preventing OpenOffice to to get out. And that uh, made a big made a big 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 backlash on on their whole idea of uh, of OpenOffice because a, a couple of Weeks later, uh, I think maybe not even weeks, a couple of days later, people complained so bad that actually the the, the school district itself decided to completely remove OpenOffice from all those computers and pay for Microsoft Office. Now, to this day, I don't think that uh, that this school district wants ever to hear again about uh, OpenOffice at all. So, and and that is what can happen if you. Change software and versions too often, and if you you're not careful about uh, what version you're using and what you're using exactly. Now, most of people in the proprietary world they don't look for that because it's it's uh, it's it's a different world because the software doesn't uh, come out that often, and since people are technical, well, uh, can be technical the the people that can try to drive um, open source. Um, Open source software and tool district. Well, they might want to use always the latest software, even software that is not out yet, and that can backfire. So I don't say don't test and use open source software on uh, like development uh, versions and beta versions. I just say testing an open source software on your machine, uh, a development version, for example, or a beta version, is not the same thing as trying to deploy. 2,500 or or 20,000 
different installs in the school district. So this has to be taught carefully before. And I'm just saying because open source uh, open source uh, is is moving uh, a lot faster than most of proprietary software. You have to be really careful when you when you do those kind of projects so that you don't uh, mess up and you're not uh, caught with uh, with problems related to that. So let's move forward a bit again and let's talk about number five, uh, which is uh, those those road bumps and pit pitfalls on the road to open source are becoming larger and larger. So this is uh, number five is interoperability between systems. Now interoperability is is a is a word to say uh, that those um, being interoperable means to be able to be not only cross-platform but also to be uh, to be able to talk to each other. That's the meaning of interoperability. So normally it means that if you use uh, if you uh, save something in a format, for example, if you would save a picture in the JPEG format, JPEG, <laughs> sorry, J JPG. So uh, the JPG format is actually an open format and an interoperable format. We know how it's made, and we know how uh, how you can save on on JPG format, so that in fact other software can read that. Now the three software that I have on my slide uh, are are different uh, are a different kind of software that you can use. So the one on the left is Firefox. So Firefox is a, a open source web browser. Uh, the one in the middle is Audacity, which is made for audio recording and audio editing. Very useful to do uh, electronic portfolios, for example, not to do the portfolio itself, but to be able for students to record themselves and have um, bits and pieces of of, of uh, either uh, how they talk or or, or what uh, or uh, oral reports that they do or things like that. And uh, the one on the right is Open Office. Now I chose those software mainly because they are cross-platform. So I'm bringing uh, interoperability to a larger sense. The idea is that. Being interoperable is being able to talk to each other, but if you want an open source uh, project in your school district to succeed, you also have to think about people that are not using open source or that are not on a, a Linux platform. So uh, we saw a lot of projects, uh, open source projects fail because people did open source projects on, on, on the side. They did that uh, without Taking uh, without looking at all the others, uh, the, the other technology platform that they had. A simple example of that is that if you need other login and password to go in the Linux lab that you just installed, and if you go on those machines, uh, you just, for example, you just bought netbooks and you install Linux on them, and you don't think about how you can connect those netbooks to what you already have, well then people are going to use those kind of technologies and say, well this is different. This doesn't, uh, I can't see my documents. I can't use my own login. So I have to be able to, to, to log in and, and to go back to my things. So you don't want people to start to mess around with USB sticks and those kind of things if you already have logins and passwords for everybody. So making sure that you can use open source on the platform, but also that you could use the products of, of what you're doing on the other platforms of your school district is, is critical. So in the projects that we did with, uh, with Revolution Linux, but also with what I did with, when I was working in the school district, we always tried to make sure that, for example, if we use OpenOffice, well, we'd be sure that OpenOffice is installed on the other machines, on the Windows machines, on the Macs, even though there is still Microsoft Office on that, because this way you're sure that people will use it wherever they go and that they can access to my documents, the same folder that they would use on a Linux machine or on a Mac machine. So uh, this is, uh, I mean, it, it, it can go down to simple things as making sure that the menu you're doing uh, in your uh, open source uh, desktop project, for example, looks the same as the Windows menu that you already did. It's not to mimic exactly what the other system is doing. It's just making the, it's just making the transition simpler. Now we're going to go a bit faster around that uh, for the lack of local support number four. 
and uh, it's it's a bit funny because uh, Steve was looking was looking at the slide before and said, "Well, you're missing a picture on number four. Well, actually, there's no picture because there's no local support. So that's the whole point of the slide. There is no local support in most of the projects uh, I saw that wanted to go really fast. And the problem is that if you don't think about having local support, and I don't mean having a local tech guy in the school, I just mean having somebody in the school that know that is a leader, and somebody talked in the chat about that earlier, making sure that, that you have leaders, and not, not only one, make sure that if you start an open source project, it's not a small pilot project that you're going to put tons of money in it, because when it's going to be over, there's not going to be any more money, and there's not going to be any more people that were specially there in your pilot project to do special things. So if you do an open source project and you want it to be successful, make sure that you have a couple of people. They don't have to be uh, a lot uh, very technical. They just have to be willing to learn a bit and willing to share their things with others so that uh, they can be a reference point for people in school. But also make sure that those people can have, I don't know, the cell phone number of the tech guy so that they are a resource, but they have some resources themselves to help others if you want to, to, go, to go further. And uh, yes, the, the, you, can, you can even use, I mean, I've seen a lot of initiatives use, use students for that. But don't only rely on the students, rely on a network of people that can help. Because other, otherwise you get uh, your people burnt out because it's always the same people that will be referred as, as the techies or, or, or the geeks of the school. So you don't want to, people to do those, those kind of things. Um, number three, and uh, we're uh, slow. Uh, we're going uh, larger and larger on the on the, the the size of the pitfall that we can fall into is buying a product without giving the same kind of support as you usually do. Now, lots of people will choose open source to an extent as a product, so they will choose to go. And I use a lot open office, but because it's often uh, it's a, it's a software that is so big uh, that people will just choose that and say, let's go to open office. I mean, we, we choose that direction, so we're going to go this way and go open office. The problem is that when you do IT, any IT project, there are a couple of things that you always do. Normally, uh, you're going to choose the software. You're going to put your IT folks on that. Uh, you're going to maybe you're going to uh, do a report or, or check all the other software that is available to compare. And the problem with open source is that people may buy the idea of open source or of, of buying in their head open office. The problem is that if they you don't give the same kind of support as you usually do when you choose another product. Well, you, they can compete on an equal ground. And if you don't, for example, if you don't think about planning your training, if you don't think about uh, having local uh, resources, well, and you thought about all that for Microsoft Office, well, of course your project is going to fail. If you don't give the same amount of, of uh, criticity and seriousness to your open source project that you would do to any other project, well, you're going to have problems in the end. And that's exactly uh, the example that I, that I thought uh, that I took before uh, for OpenOffice that was put uh, on, uh, on, on, on the machines without telling everybody uh, in the summer. Well, those people were mad because, I mean, there wasn't any support. There wasn't anything that was uh, preparing people to receive that. And plus, well, it's like they just had a free lunch and everybody said, well, there's food on the table. But if you didn't think about putting tables, actually, putting trash cans, putting everything that uh, makes people happy to have a lunch, actually, well, people are not going to be happy because there's just free food on the floor. So uh, maybe that's a weird example, but <laughs> that's how it turned out. And this is a part of number three also is when you're looking at Doing an open source project, often it will uh, it will need some hardware to work, either uh, for desktops or for servers in the back end. And the problem is that a lot of time people will buy a product or buy hardware and put so much focus on put so much focus on on the hardware part at the wrong time. Uh, the problem is that if you do that, uh, for example, uh, and we have the people that that called us. 
uh, after they actually bought a lot of thin clients, for example. So they bought a super large uh, amount of thin clients. They, they spent a lot of money in that, that piece. And actually, the thin clients weren't quite compatible with the open source software that they were using. I mean, you don't have only this issues with op uh, these issues with open source. You have these issues with any, any, any tech problem. So if you don't check before if it's compatible and if it, it will fit the needs of the things you will do, then you're going to run into trouble. So if it, it's not making sure that, um, uh, that, that only making sure that the hardware works, it's, it's putting the emphasis on the right things at the right time, and hardware is one of them. But if you're not careful and you buy a super large server, but you didn't check before if the, uh, the Moodle uh, install that you were going to do, for example, really needed that kind of server before doing, doing so, well, you're just going to have oversized your server or spent maybe half of your budget in a server that uh, didn't need to be so, so, so huge. So that's one other example. Number two, and I know we're running down the time, is neglecting user interface. Now, if anybody knows what that interface looks like, it's a, a really uh, largely used uh, CMS that stands for Content Management System, and it's called Drupal. Now, Drupal is actually used by the White House. So if you go to whitehouse.gov, you're going to see a Drupal site. Uh, and this is actually what the uh, interface to, uh, to manage Drupal looks like at first when you use that. Now, I'm not telling you not to use Drupal. I'm telling you that if you want to use Drupal, uh, for the school district's website and you want to give this to your 5,000 member of staff that can publish a web page if they want to, well, they're just going to open that and say, where is the create a page button? I don't see it. And they're right. This interface is for system administrator. It's not for teacher. So just taking the time to do little things like a landing page where people could just press a button saying create a page. It is really simple for most of those kind of software, just making sure that the wallpaper actually has four buttons that can say Internet, and maybe not Firefox, but just Internet so that people are not lost. And people that are really techy, they'll find their way around anyway. We just don't want to drop the, the large number of people that don't have time to fiddle around but that still want to use technology to a certain point, want to make their life easier. So it's not because I don't understand Drupal, it's just because I don't want people to fiddle around just for creating a web page. We want people to, to be able to, to work with things. And uh, the number one issue about uh, the pitfall, I would say, that is the largest about using open source software is going for open source only to save money on license fee. And uh, the fact is actually most of people that are talking about open source are talking about saving money. But you know what? If you go to open source only for that, your project is likely to fail. Because if you look at what does it cost for an, uh, a technology project to be successful, you have to pay licenses. Okay, so that's what you wouldn't pay for open source. But outside of that, you would need to pay for hardware. You would need to pay, need to pay for training your tech staff. Or maybe, maybe you're not going to train your tech staff. Maybe you're gonna, they're going to learn by themselves. But this is going to take time for them to do so. Maybe they're going to hire people like, like Revolution Linux to help them. Maybe they're going to have, uh, they're going to do it themselves. They're going to do the install. They're going to do uh, the support. Maybe they're going to hire people for, people for support. And they're going to train users. And all those, those costs, because those are real costs, have to be taken in account when you do an, uh, an, a, any, any uh, technology project. So if you go for open source only to save money on, on, on license fee, well, at first, and if you talk to any people in the superintendent team that will look at the budget, uh, they will just like uh, they will just see you in the hall and say, "Didn't you tell me that that open source project was supposed to save us money? Because I look in my budget and it's not saving us anything this year." Of course, because you're changing, you're moving to another platform. And we have an example of uh, somebody you might meet if you come to uh, ISTE at, in Denver at the at our uh, open source pavilion uh, this summer. 
which is uh, name, his name is Randy Orwin. He was a uh, technology director in uh, in Bainbridge, um, in Washington State, and they actually moved to open office. And the first year, they didn't save anything because they actually took all the money for the licenses and put that in training and professional development. And this was key for the success of their thing. Otherwise, they this wouldn't be any success if they just took all the license money and put that back in the general fund. Because in the end, well, everybody would have a new software in their hands without any support and without any training. So in the end, maybe on a five-year, three to five-year basis, you're going to save money. But don't only rely on that for, uh, for things to, uh, to be successful. So I hope uh, you found that interesting. Uh, I hope um, you, had, uh, you had a lot of, uh, <laughs> of uh, of smiles in your face listening to my accent. So, uh, so uh, if you have any questions, uh, I'm going to stay a bit on the chat, and uh, you have my uh, my contact info uh, on the slide. So, thanks everybody for for that. I suppose that uh, that um, Steve, you might join in for uh, for closing comments. Actually, I'm going to turn it over to Jean. Jean, do you want to uh, give him a little, little promo for what you're doing? Turn your mic back on, Gene. Learning two new technologies is challenging. Um, I want to thank you, Benoit, for a great presentation. And if it was uh, any, you know, just watching the chat that was going on while you were talking, you know, as you were changing topics, so was the chat. So it was kind of really interesting to see and, and a lot to be learned just from, from both what you had to say and what was going on in the chat. So uh, it was a great experience. Um, I, I think there are a couple of questions, and maybe we can have time for one or two. Steve? You know, uh, let's do this. Those of you who budgeted an hour, please feel free to leave. We don't want you to feel like you have to stay, but we will we'll stay around for a few minutes, and, and um, Benoit can answer some questions. We sure appreciate your coming today. Um, thanks from um, uh, TLN, and thanks from uh, futureofeducation.com. And uh, Benoit, I think you'll stay on. So those of you who need to go, please feel free to go. There is a survey at the end that will pop up for you. Uh, and those of you who would like to stay, we'll now sort of turn this into a, a less, to a more informal Q&A for, say, the next 10 minutes. So if you'd like to ask a question, please feel free to put it in the chat. If there was a question you asked earlier and it didn't get answered, again, uh, put that in the chat. Or you can use the hand with the green up arrow to raise your hand and ask a question using the microphone. Um, maybe I'll take uh, the comment about uh, there's Larry Anderson saying not much has said uh, about convincing school board members about open source any ideas. Uh, well, one of the problems about only wanting to convince board members to go open source is that if it's just for the open source part of of, of things, uh, this will not work. It's like just convincing people to save money and license fee. This has to be presented to, to board members uh, most of the time as, as, a, um, as a way to bring more technology in the hands of students in school. And that's mainly where open source can help us tremendously. So if you are really wanting to, to push that to board members, using, uh, I mean, using the argument that open source is probably one of, of the only ways to, to to bring technology to the largest number of people in schools and actually in, in, to the large number of hands of students is uh, it's something that can uh, can make the board members uh, uh, agree to those kind of projects. And of course, well, the rest has to be thought of anyway. So it's not a simple road, but it's not a simple road for any technology project in general. Um, Okay, so Noble, I'm going to give question. you. The, Sorry, um, I'm, I'm giving Noble the microphone. So Noble, you've been through this before. Just click on your mic button and uh, turn your mic on. Uh, hi, Benoit. Um, I work with Organization Education Beyond Borders, and one of our major projects is in South Africa. Um, we're going through this process right now, where we are actually. Uh, helping to develop implementation plans. And, and there's always that debate over use of open source. Uh, one of the things that, you know, they've had issues with Ubuntu and, and the system is, is the lack of support and, and so on. 
so your your presentation just definitely hit a very you know key point. I'm wondering if there's any um, sort of a evaluation or um, data getting tool that can help um, these boards and districts look at, at this information prior to making any decisions. These, these, these districts are very vulnerable to salespeople at this moment, as is many uh, African nations, because they're so wanting to, to compete on the world stage when it comes to use of educational technologies, and they see that as a way of moving forward. So I don't know if you're aware of any um, research tools or, or, or survey tools that can help um, that make the appropriate decisions when looking at use of open source. I don't know any specific tool uh, for that. I know of examples of large countries that moved uh, for their whole educational system, like Macedonia, for example. Macedonia has uh, a one-to-one -one project that is actually using uh, uh, laptop computers for everybody in the state, which is roughly, I think, one million students, uh, using Ubuntu Linux on, on all the machines. And uh, I mean, for for, for the, the most part of, of those of those things, uh, if you're moving forward with an open source project, being Ubuntu or anything else, well, uh, if you would move fo move forward with Windows 7 or any other platform, you would have technical issues and you would need to call people for support. Uh, and I, I know that for South Africa, especially, there are some people there that that are supporting uh, are support supporting that. I mean, uh, Mark Shuttleworth, the founder of of, uh, of Ubuntu, is South African himself. So, uh, um, for as for tools, speci specifically, I, I don't have any under. Uh, just uh, I don't have any address or anything that I can uh, point you uh, at for now, but uh, but I mean these these kind of things are possible. And the experience that we we had ourselves, uh, not only for school districts in Canada, but also in the U.S. and uh, and in Europe, uh, are pretty uh, pretty relevant for for those kind of things. So. Um, maybe we can go back in the chat for other questions. Um, I knew I saw a question for um, uh, the conference will be available as a recording. Uh, how do you support uh, Linux software and software that will not run on Linux from Deborah Boatwright? That is a, that is a good question. Um, normally, it's not about having. I mean, it's it's about choosing the software, not the software, but the task that you want to solve, and now not choosing the software. So you want to look for a software to do a presentation, not look for PowerPoint. And uh, that's mostly what we're supposed to teach in schools. We're teaching skills. We're not teaching uh, software. So if you look at that angle for for software, this it's really easy to find very good open source software that actually. Are able to 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 solve the the needs that you have, to address the needs uh, that you have, and if you have software that you really really want to, uh, want to uh, make uh, to to have working in, in Linux, you have uh, different possibilities. First, there is a software called Wine, W I N E, like like the wine uh, you can drink, uh, but it's actually made for run open uh, Windows programs on Linux. It's not always working. But if it, if your software can run into Wine, it's a way to keep it open uh, to, to keep it working in a Linux world. There are some software that you can buy actually that are working on Linux, like they would be on Mac, for example, or on Windows. Uh, the, the 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 software provider chose to make this software work on that. Uh, the second way of doing so, which will be to would be to find something that would do the same task. Under uh, under Linux and uh, or in the open source world than the software that you were having at first, and the third way to do so is a way that we do often with ten clients that would be uh, answering also another question. Uh, the places that we implemented um, open source in school district have various ways of doing so. So some places they are using it on a desktop. Some places they are using that uh, in the infrastructure. Some places they are using open source. Uh, in on thin clients and on fat clients. So the the third way for me to access Windows software uh, or software that doesn't run on Linux would be to run it from a terminal server, uh, from a Windows terminal service, for example. 
and make that uh, just uh, um, make a, a remote connection with a remote desktop RDP to uh, to the Windows environment for a, a student information system, for example, that wouldn't work on uh, on Linux. That's uh, that's another possibility. So I think it's time to to end. I did want to give um, a. Go ahead, Benoit. No problem. I was just going to say, uh, Randy Orwin is uh, going to be in the same series, uh, the TLN series, um, and that will be on April 27th, talking about open source intelligent implementation, uh, and that will be at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 12 noon Pacific. Um, we're sure glad to have you here. Uh, Gene, want to say a final goodbye? Sure. You know, uh, once again, thank you all, and we're going to. Um, be posting the link on our site, nsba.org forward slash web channel TLN. Uh, and we'll also list the upcoming webinars there as well. Uh, so please come by and visit the site and uh, look for additional information as well. And once again, thank you all. Terrific. Thank you, Gene. Thanks, Benoit. Thanks, everybody, for putting up with a couple of minutes of sound issues as we got Benoit on the telephone. I'm sure glad to have you here today. And uh, what a great topic and a great audience. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye.